A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, this is Antonio Lucio. Welcome to Homework, a marketing podcast that it is not about marketing. Today, we're going to be talking to Thomas Trenis and his partner, Brian Jackson. They've been together for 23 years. Thomas was CMO at Uber and previously had worked at Google. He is currently on a well-deserved sabbatical. Brian worked many years at NBC and today works at Google. We talked to them during the Cannes Advertising Festival. In today's episode, we're going to talk about assignments, we're going to talk about sabbaticals, and we're going to talk about the new challenges expected for the LGBTQ community in the corporate world. Please enjoy this conversation with Thomas and Brian. Well, Thomas and Brian, welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. Great to be here. It's a pleasure. So let's start at the, at the very beginning. How did you guys meet? Oh boy. Do people still meet this way? We met as a blind date before the apps world. So Thomas and I met in 1999. So we'll be celebrating our 23rd anniversary. We celebrate the first date that we had that blind date in November. And we were fixed up by two very close friends who, you know, it's a little cliche. One said, I have a gay friend. Maybe you have a gay friend. Like, I'm sure that they will hit it off. <laughs> That's actually, the only thing we needed to have in common. There's actually two women, two Jewish women named Allison and Allison. <laughs> wow. Yep, they went to each of our schools and said, I have a gay friend. How about we introduce them? And the only requirement was, Brian, you have to like to eat. <laughs> and so he said, yeah, I like food. So that was, that was it. Match made in heaven. Exactly. <laughs> eat and travel. That's and 23 years ago. Yeah. And that was 23 years ago. Well, yeah. congratulations. That's yeah. amazing. All right. All right. Thank you very much. So what, what, what attracted you from Ryan Thomas? It's funny. We were just talking to a good old old friend who said you know you had described everything you were looking for in a partner and then Brian walked in the room I was looking for just dashingly charming and, and handsome of course <laughs> of course <laughs> extremely wealthy <laughs> well I don't know if you were so <laughs> part maybe not yeah, so sorry about the time that. anyway um, uh, but you know I was looking for someone who you know shared the same sense of value sense of humor I think a curiosity for food for travel those are the things I'm really passionate about family was important so someone who had similar roots in that way and it's funny you know, on the surface I mean we, we he's from Texas I'm from New York I mean I still rip him on Texas and New Yorkers love to hate Texans but we actually have a lot in common our, our, we're the first in our families to go to college we come from very conservative Catholic slash Christian backgrounds our parents have been together over 50 years so a commitment to family and togetherness I don't think those are the things immediately that connected us. Like there was much more on the surface, but we actually have a lot of the shared, same shared values that have kept us together. I think for twenty-two plus years. Yeah. 
What about Thomas for you, Brian? Well, I'm just gonna <laughs> soak that in. Really, I've never said some of those things to me before. So what what really attracted me to Thomas was his. I mean, obviously a very attractive, handsome, like self-possessed <laughs> human being, but also really, really smart and really, really kind. And so those were those. I mean, it's funny that that's kind of the first things that came through when we had cocktail together. It was our first date in Casablanca and Harvard, Harvard Square in '99, and those have been continuing to to be consistent ever since. So, yeah, amazing. <laughs> the the two of you have very big jobs and have had very big jobs for a long time. How do you divide the stuff that happens at home? Yeah, I think, no. um, I mean, it's not going to sound romantic, but, you know, I, I think we embrace the idea of fairness and equality at home, that no matter, you know, rank, title, income, whatever, like it's about an equal partnership. And, you know, that means like, you know, after dinner, it's like, well, who made dinner, then who cleans up? Or I'm gonna take the trash out, you do the dishes. You know, there's always a sense of, you know, fairness and equality and how we divide things up and kind of making sure that we're doing things rather equally. I think we also try to play to our strengths. There are things I just know Brian's yeah. much better at than I am. So if something is broken in the house or a light bulb needs to get changed, I look to Brian. <laughs> But if we're planning the next trip, that's usually something I take on because I love that. So we sort of divide a little bit based on our strengths and you know talents, so to speak. Yeah, I'm a bit more detail oriented than Thomas is, so I pay the bills. Do we make? He's sure the marketing guy. <laughs> you don't want to story pay the bills. <laughs> but we need an accountant, in the family. and so I'm happy to play that role. Yeah, and I think yeah that I. We, we're naturally drawn to certain activities, so that has worked out well. Yes, we're having um, a dinner party. Brian's the cocktail mixer. Yeah. He's the guy who figures out the flowers on the table. I'll do the menu planning. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So we just went through a major event called the pandemic. In what way did that change you guys? I think, well, it certainly reminded us that, that family and our union and home is really important. It became a refuge for so many around the world. And to just to rediscover that the, the rituals that come with a, a really deep and rewarding home life. It could be making lunch together. We're both working from home for, gosh, 18 months or so. And that was the first opportunity we had to really see each other during the day and sit down and have a meal during lunchtime and make it together and, and really enjoy that time together. And, and just to, to make sure that we're investing in our, ourselves and our mental health and our physical health and, and eating and, and meditating wherever we, we can find the time to do that kind of thing. And, but also, you know, I think we, like many, started to introduce Thomas mentioned cocktails, like maybe a cocktail at five o'clock <laughs> on a Tuesday, which was kind of a nice opportunity to have during pandemic when we're just not going anywhere else. Mm -hmm. yeah. What would you add? Yeah, no, I mean, I think I mean, it's such a strange time and it was such an unfortunate time in so many ways. But at the same time, I think we might look back and think it was a time we actually got really close. Life was simpler. We had lunch every day together. We took the dog to the park together every single morning, right? And we were there together. Those little moments were just, you know, in some ways a treasure to have, you know, as disruptive as it was in so many ways for so many people. It just made life a lot simpler. 
and I think helped us feel more connected. Yeah, but I don't think if we didn't have the strength of the relationship we had going in, it wouldn't have been quite as pleasurable. And I think we have we have that to celebrate with each other. It's just that partnership and being together. Yeah. What was hardest? Finding space, you know, like mm. finding space to, to do your own thing. You know, I mean, I, I love traveling, as I keep talking about, but I, and I travel a ton for work, but I didn't travel for, you know, 18 months or two years. And that was my personal space. That was my chance to get on a plane and have some solo time to think or be in another city on my own. And so, so finding your own personal space, I think, was a bit hard. And that time where we were sharing the same house together, you know, 24-7, walking into each other's Zoom meetings. I mean, so like, how, how do you just kind of create that own personal space that you need? For Brian, that was meditation. For me, yeah. it was probably going out for a run just to try to kind of find my own, my own time, my own place to be. And family was also a challenge because we live in the San Francisco Bay Area. My family's still in Texas. Thomas's family's on the East Coast. Obviously couldn't see them for a year or more before we could even start to travel again. And our parents are, Thomas's parents are in their 70s. My parents are in their 80s. And so oh, wow. just being really present about how do we support and take care of them from afar and stay connected to them, which was not easy. We, My parents did the first Zoom call, Google Meet, I'll say, um, of their <laughs> lives with, with us during the pandemic. And so that was a, a nice proxy, but certainly it was there was a distance there that was hard to bridge. So that, I think, was a challenge that everyone was dealing with, but it really came into focus for us with our parents and, and our families being so far away. But we were fortunate. I mean, we were fortunate. That's true. That's true. I mean, we really didn't have, I mean, we, some family, some friends were, had a tough go of it for sure, but came out the other end. Yeah. The, given the fact that both of you have had remarkable, successful career in global companies, mm -hmm. I would imagine that the whole conversation about transferring from one city to another has happened mm -hmm. and most of the times those transfers do not come at the same time. <laughs> How do you guys negotiate something like that? Yeah. So it's funny, so yeah. we moved twice, so-called together. The first time we moved was in our first year of being together. We were in our second year of grad school. We were six months into our relationship. We both got jobs in New York and so here we were just kind of, you know, getting to know each other and we're going to end up in New York together. And so it was a big question of, well, what does that mean for us? And, you know, we started looking for apartments and we told the broker, we would like, we don't want to push this relationship too fast. We would like two apartments in the same building. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, New York kind of forces relationships to come together, real estate in New York. <laughs> yes, we started looking at the price tag of two apartments well, in the same building. Like, well, exactly. maybe we should move in together. <laughs> I think this feels right. <laughs> so that was the first time. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And then the second time, yeah, we, Thomas, uh, this was mid, probably 10 years into our relationship. And Thomas got the fantastic opportunity to leave New York for an opportunity at Google in San Francisco. And that, that opened up a, a dialogue between us about, yeah, is this the right opportunity? That's a big move. How do we navigate having a, a move like that for one partner and then solving all of the other details that happen as a result for the other? And it, I think we, we both came to the conclusion early on that it was the right thing for, for Thomas and his career and for our family, but then I really had to grapple with what it's like to be a trailing spouse. And, and my career at the time, I was 
working for NBC in New York and I really loved that company and was enjoying my time there. And thankfully, they were so supportive of, of me and helped me transition to a location in San Francisco. But it was, you know, I really had to dig deep and, and think about what that would mean for me as a, just my own psychology of how I think about my career and how we think about stages of our career together and mm -hmm. phase them in. And it, and it has been a wonderful move, full stop. I really, there's, I, I look at that as being a transformative stage in our lives together and in our professional mm -hmm. uh, careers. But at the time I thought, oh, I'm leaving the center of the universe in New York for some small little city by the bay. And <laughs> little did I know that that was also the center of a different universe. And it was, uh, uh, it was a really fun discovery for both of us. And the future of advertising. So that yeah, absolutely. was a good right. move for you from a career perspective. But at the time, it definitely could have seemed you know, imbalanced. Right. But I don't think we sit down and have structured conversations on these things. I think they sort of just evolve over time. Like, we always knew San Francisco was a place we could both see ourselves living. And so we're kind of at another juncture, another, you know, fast forward, another 10 plus years, and we're starting to think about the next chapter of our lives. And, you know, do we move to a state where our families are so we can be closer to our parents as they get older? And so that's just a conversation that we constantly come back to. Like, well, can you see yourself living in Texas? Can you see yourself living here? Um, and I think we just start to form a short list of places you can see and what's important. And, and then again, back to the, you know, the, the value of fairness and, and equality, you know, we've now moved once for my career if, and Brian's parents are older. So if we need right. to make the move for Brian and his family, like I'm open to that. Like that's something I'm very supportive of. They're going to hear this, by the way. I know. Now they're going to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> They don't know what podcasts are. <laughs> we can edit the version for Thank you if you want. <laughs> um, you, you guys have also gone through something that is very popular in the Bay Area because I didn't know the concept until I got to the Bay Area, the concept of sabbatical. There are three concepts that I learned in the Bay Area that I didn't know when I lived in New York. One, taking high risk is a good thing, even if you fail. Failure is a badge of honor. Mm. And you should take sabbaticals to refresh. When I lived in, in New York, the whole concept, I'm going to take a year off. It was like, well, how are you going to explain that in your resume? In, in the Bay Area is actually a, a really good and refreshing thing to the point that I wish I had done it. You have done it. When that when that becomes part of the conversation mm. as a couple, how is that managed? In terms like the practical terms, so you're gonna do that, so that means that you're gonna take care of the household, or how are we gonna deal with this sabbatical concept as a couple? Yeah, it's a great mm -hmm. question. So I'm on a sabbatical now. I recently resigned uh, from Uber or as a CMO. And it was, a, it was a decision you were very supportive of. I mean, we talked about it, you know, directly and indirectly for, for some time. <clears throat> and it was something that I was looking forward to do and something I needed to do for myself. And I've been on sabbatical for a few months. And, you know, it's, it's funny. I think we come back again to fairness. It's, it's not like all the chores and all the household responsibilities, particularly the paying the bills, are falling on me because I want those things to get done and done well. <laughs> but I am trying to pick up a little bit more of the day-to-day -day stuff. Like, you know, we have someone, you know, coming over to fix the dishwasher. I'll be there for that four-hour window because I have the flexibility in my schedule to do that and I won't put that on Brian. Yeah. But at the same time, I've been traveling a ton because I'm trying to enjoy this time that I have and, you know, also make up for lost time, not traveling for the last couple of years. 
And so I'm actually not in the house as much as I was for the last two years. I'm not watching the dog as much or doing my fair share of responsibilities and taking care of Bruno, mm -hmm. uh, which puts a lot more burden on Brian. But you've been very supportive of that because you know mm -hmm. this is sort of a unique moment for me. And I think sabbaticals are an incredible thing. Now having had a few months to, to, to just reset and recharge and reflect, I think everybody should do it, particularly after the last couple of years. It is incredibly rejuvenating. Mm, yeah, and I, I, I've been, as Thomas said, very supportive. I think it's a wonderful thing. The, um, but, and we kind of have treated it, I think about it just psychologically, as a project. Mm. Uh, sabbatical is a project, and it takes its own time, and it takes its own timeline over time. And very supportive of that. We can, I always think about you can have it all. You just can't have it all at once. And so now that Thomas is having this time then yeah, I'm happy to, to take a little bit more responsibility in just managing the household while maybe his projects take him out of the household because I understand that you know eventually that balance will equilibrate. I'm not sure what the word is, but mm -hmm. the, uh, come, back, come back in balance. And so, and, it's, and to your point, I think it's a wonderful thing. I think everyone should think about it as not only an opportunity to rejuvenate, but to also just really think about what's next. Yeah. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah. On a professional, on a personal level. Yes. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. As a very successful and happily together gate couple. What are the challenges as you guys approach corporate America? I, you know, I, I do want to say up front that I, and I think both of us, I'm interested to hear your perspective on this, have been very fortunate to work in companies and in environments that have been very supportive of this notion of bringing your whole self to work, which we certainly embrace in my company and it's it's something that has just been such, such a blessing for me as an individual. But I do remember early on what my first job out of grad school and, and a senior and older gay gentleman approaching me. We had dinner together as a mentorship opportunity and he was very clear. He said, Brian, you should not come out in the workplace. You should not share this part of yourself um, at this company. It will... It, may not hurt you overtly, but will limit opportunities mm. for you in the future. And that always stood out to me. That was 20 years ago. And thankfully, much has changed, certainly in some of the, the media industry and the tech industry that we have been living in for a while. So I, I, I do feel like that we, we are very supportive. But I think things have changed. I mean, I think that advice was probably practical on some level back in the day, so to speak. Yeah. And when I came out in the 90s, and one of the very first concerns my parents had for me was, you're not going to tell anyone at work, right? 
I mean, I remember sitting at the kitchen table and that was one of their top concerns because first in the family to go to college, all these, you know, wishes for what my career was going to be. And then they hear I'm gay and they're like, wow, that's going to set you back. Don't tell anyone. Um, and at that point, I was like, there's no way I'm not going to tell people at work. This is who I am. But it wasn't necessarily an easy journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working in the nonprofit sector initially in San Francisco in the 90s. That part was easy. Yeah. <laughs> but then I get to McKinsey working in financial services in New York, you know, in, in the early 2000s. And while the firm was very embracing of diversity, and I was actually the largest gay class of consultants who entered in 2000, it still was a pretty conservative place socially where you didn't necessarily feel that comfortable or, or know if everyone was going to be as comfortable. And then even language, how do you use language? So we're not married and we weren't married at the time either. And, you know, I always refer to Brian as my partner, but in, in the context of McKinsey, people are like, what do you mean your partner? You mean like your partner on the project? Or your, 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 no, <laughs> I'm my own partner. <laughs> so like finding language for people to be comfortable, for me to feel like, you know, I'm, I'm conveying the significance of our, of our relationship yeah. and finding new terms and new ways to, to talk about who we are. You know, so, and I never had a gay boss, never had a gay mentor. And I think about it, over my entire career, I've never had anyone mm-hmm who's been, you know, a, a gay mentor or boss that I can look up to or learn from or have these kinds of conversations with that you can't have with other people. I Fortunately, think, we can have it with each other, but... I think that's a really important point. Where Whereas I feel very comfortable being out in the corporate worlds that I travel in, I know that that's not true for everyone. And, and that's a privilege that is not equally shared among generations or ethnicities or all sorts of different different characteristics across the, the human landscape. So it is really important for, for me and for us, I think, in to represent and to really model that behavior. Sometimes I feel like at work and even with clients and partners, I will make a point of sharing that Thomas is my partner and telling stories about what we have done together as a same-sex couple over the weekend. So that that becomes a topic of conversation and it's easy and available as a topic of conversation for others who might feel like they're not invited to that table. And that, that I think, is really, really important for us to do. And if, if we don't do it, no one else will. Like you, you, you both said, you've been lucky, blessed to work in the companies and the cities that you have worked. There is a new trend in America, hmm. in some other states and some hmm. other companies as it pertains to to the gay conversation. Are you guys worried about a change in tide? Yes, I mean, Absolutely. I just read this morning, I woke up and Brian had, had, hadn't had his coffee, we we're still jet lagged, and I was like, well, Texan Republicans just passed a platform yesterday that said homosexuality is an abnormal lifestyle that is now part of the political platform for the Republicans in Texas. Right, and on, on top of everything else that's going on in Texas and Florida and Alabama and Arkansas, absolutely. And that's why I think brands and companies have a role to play in, you know, in, in fighting for progress and change. You know, you, like we always refer to the Edelman survey where consumers actually trust their employer and brands more than government and media. Right, and I studied government and I've worked in the public and private sector and I think you make policy and you make progress across the sectors and I think brands in this day and age have a role to play, which is why I'm so passionate about that as a, as a CMO, as a marketer. But absolutely, it fears me. I think we can take steps backwards. And I think the gay community has gotten a little complacent over the last few years, right? Like we've made so much progress 
um, in short in a short period of time. That I think, and once the the victory was had with gay marriage, I think folks felt like, okay, we achieved so much. They can kind of step back a little bit, but I think there's a potential backlash and you know re reversion <laughs> that could happen if we're if we're not looking out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Thomas mentioned earlier the potential for a move back to Texas. It's really the Texas being one of those states that, like you just mentioned, where that kind of uh, platform is gaining political momentum, and it's really called into question: Is that a place where we can see ourselves? Can we really? exist, as, even exist as a couple uh, in that environment and feel like we can have, are um, living and expressing our full selves? Or is it an opportunity for us to right. participate and to help be part of that change in that environment? I grew up in Texas. I have a deep love for that state and those people. They're my people and, it's, <laughs> and, and I really have a, an emotional connection to that place. The, I'm, I'm not willing to give it up. And so that I think is really part of what I hope will be a response to this kind of political environment that keeps popping up in certain states around the country. So, so what advice would you give to corporations mm. as it pertains to ensuring that people like, like you two continue to have the meaningful lives mm. and careers that you have within this changing environment? I would say it is important to celebrate and recognize the populations and the diversity of the populations within the corporation. Corporations are not things, they are made up of individuals and people with deep, rich, personal lives and family lives and a full expression of the human existence. And so it's really important to create that space for celebration and pride or Juneteenth we're celebrating um, to, uh, today and yesterday, yesterday yeah. in the US and you know and really dedicating some open space to have those really deep conversations about what it is to be diverse and inclusive. Mm. I mean hiring more diversity in leadership I think is an important place to start because unless you have those perspectives at the table, I think it's really hard for companies to embrace everything Brian just said, and also to make sure their products and their marketing and the way they show up in the market like reflect their audiences. So I think I think having diverse people in leadership who are able to be who they are and express that as part of their leadership is a, is a key and important part of it. And, sure. and corporate leadership really needs to have the backs of a community and really be able to defend. What, 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 do, what do you mean with that? Yeah, so, if someone you know, comes to, this is a topic of conversation in Texas with the trans rights being threatened in that state, some employees have approached their senior leadership and said, look, if the state comes after me for my trans child and doing the best thing that I think for his or her or their um, health, mental and physical, I need to know that you're going to have my back. I need to know that you're going to do everything you can to protect me as an employee, protect my family as a unit, and to, to do what's in my best interest and what's in the best interest of my family. So to really, it's, it goes beyond representation and recognition to, to action and, and really mm -hmm. stepping in to, to help defend underrepresented groups that are at risk. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Let's go back to your 
20 something self <laughs> where you had. I wish you could. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I want to go back to that. You know, at that, at, at that time, you guys had hopes, dreams, and aspiration for what your life was mm-hmm. going to be in the future, what, what your life is today. When you look back, how, how close mm-hmm. or how different <laughs> is your life to what you were thinking at the time? It's mm, a great question. You want to take that one? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I feel really lucky. I mean, maybe it's the rest and reflection I've had for the last three months, but I feel very fortunate to have the, so much in my life that I think in my 20s I was aspiring for, having a, a committed relationship, a circle of friends and family, mm-hmm. jobs that have taken me places I never would have imagined going. I didn't, I didn't think any of this was possible. As this, you know, kid from Brooklyn who, went, who was the first thing to go to college, like... I, I mean, I, I, I dreamed of being successful, but I don't even know if I knew what that looked like in many ways. And so I feel like we've been very fortunate to have the lives that we have. And a lot of what I actually thought about in my 20s and I'm thinking a lot about now is how do I make sure my life has more meaning? Um, I started my life in public policy and government. I thought I'd have a career in public service and then ended up you know, a very long career now in, in the private sector. And I'm trying to figure out ways to blend those together to bring back purpose and profit to sort of be able to do, you know, do well by doing good, all those expressions, but how to bring more meaning back to the work that I do by finding, you know, my next job, my next chapter as giving back to the community more. So that's the piece that I'm looking to, to next. I feel like I put that a little bit on the back burner for mm-hmm. a little while for my career, but I, I feel in some ways so fulfilled and so lucky to have the life that we have and that not just together but with with the circle and community of friends that we have as well hmm. yeah that's really well said i i never knew any of this was possible as a, a 20 year old me neither <laughs> i mean we're in this beautiful spot in the french riviera having a conversation <laughs> about thank you for for hosting us and inviting us and including us in this conversation with my partner talking about the the what we mean to each other and what our careers have become i never thought any of that was possible as a 20 year old so thrilled for what has happened so far and what we've been able to accomplish together but also really thomas mentioned the word meeting thinking about what what can we do now to to get back Mm -hmm. and to to help the that's increasingly top of mind i think for both of us the, the, the one thought that I would give you is that there are very direct ways, which is probably what Thomas is looking for, but the fact that both of you had held the roles that you hold in the companies that you work with is changing, changing perceptions, changing mindsets, mm-hmm. is opening doors for a more diverse community. And Thomas, as you say, People have more trust in, in brands and in, in, in corporations to actually do the right thing. I don't think you should underestimate the impact that mm. just by being yeah. and just by doing your work the way that you're doing are having in, a, in our industry. So I feel deeply grateful that you both are part of our, of our community and I feel deeply grateful that you, you you decided to spend the time with me today. Well, so thank you very much. Right back at you, Antonio. I remember my first time at Cannes, I heard you speak on stage about diversity as the CMO, I think, at the time at HP. Yes. And so you've been a champion and a pioneer and someone who has made a lot of this possible. So thank you. And thank you for just even having this podcast and inviting the two of us to, to be part of it. So thank you.
Great. Hopefully, there'll be the beginning of many more conversations. You guys are fantastic, and I'm so glad that you're part of our industry. Thank you. Thank you very much. much. Thank you for listening to Homework, part of the AdHeat Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Monica Bernal, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Lane McGivney at Batwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of AdWeek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things AdWeek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at AdWeek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com.